Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah. Hello, my name's Connie. And I'm with Daddy. My favourite tennis player is Emma Raducanu and Annie Murray. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you to lovely Connie in our intro there, beautifully introducing today's show. And to her dad, Barnaby, that didn't get a name check, but I suppose to, to Connie, he's just daddy. Um, but we can confirm that daddy is, in fact, Barnaby, friend of the show and uh, and loyal listener. Not Barnaby that David uh, used to live with, keeper of samurai swords. Yeah. Uh, there was some anxiety uh, when we saw the name Barnaby <laughs> on the list because David has associations with that name. But it turns out Barnaby is uh, a lovely man with uh, an even lovelier daughter, Connie. So thank you uh, to both of you for introducing the show and being a friend of the tennis podcast. It is Monday, the 16th of May. We are six days away from the second Grand Slam of the 2022 tennis season. Iga Swiatek and Novak Djokovic are the newly crowned Rome champions. Gem's life are having a baby and Matt's got facial hair. It's very difficult to know editorially what we should lead with today, David. Help yeah. me out. And we've both had haircuts, have we, Matt? Yes, that's right. I've had a haircut and also have facial hair, yes. Two things are true. It's a complicated hair situation, right? It's very, di- very difficult to keep up. I've also got facial hair, but um, as when I was 18, nobody can tell. I um, genu- genuinely can't, can't see anything. <laughs> uh, but yes, Matt's it's, just uh, showing you up. It's, it's, it's always a Grand Slam haircut, isn't it, a couple of days before going. So, you know, mm. a streamlined and ready to go. And and thanks to Roland Garros starting on a Sunday, we can we can say it's Grand Slam week. In fact, yeah, you know we're, we're in the week of the French Open, and that is exciting. We are indeed, folks. We are indeed two tennis relived shows uh, to be recorded this week in person. We got rather addicted to to record recording the last show in person, and uh, we're back on Zoom today, but. As Matt and I were just saying before we hit record, uh, and while David was having some rather significant tech issues <laughs> that we hope won't blight the recording, um, over the next two months, most of the shows are going to be recorded in person, and we are officially pumped for that. So, facial hair covered, um, d- just about. Uh, Gem's life baby will leave for later. Yep. Yeah. So, that leaves us with Iga Swiatek and Novak Djokovic, the newly crowned Rome champions. I'm going to start with Iga Swiatek, I think, and ask the question, do we have, in the women's draw, whatever it may look like, a Roland Garros mix of one? Well, given Matt's definition of a mix of one... Whoa! That, whoa! That's Matt's that on me. <laughs> well, I think it's very good. 
it's it's our collective definition, David. Okay, well, I we we yeah. might wish to distance ourselves from it on many an occasion, but it is a collective definition. We succeed together and we fail together, and if it all goes down, <laughs> I want I want us all to be in this together. Well, given given that the idea is that you would be surprised if she didn't win it, that makes her a mix of one. I I think that that is accurate. I I am now at a stage where. I would be surprised if she didn't win it. Given the form she's in, what is it, 28 match wins in a row now? That is not normal. That That is domination of the tennis circuit since the moment Ash Barty retired. And she's played pretty much everybody in that period. And one player has got a set. Was that Ludmilla Samsonova who got, got one set? She's, you know, she's destroyed really, Some, really good tennis Someone should give players. her a, a little plate. I think a plate. <laughs> yeah, Samsonova's the Samsonova plate, um, yeah. and uh, it, it's it's extraordinary the level of tennis she is producing time after time after time. And actually, to me, it's quite fitting that the 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 male champion is Novak Djokovic because I was, it occurred to me this morning what this reminds me of, and it's the year that. Novak Djokovic went on his run of 40-something match wins in a row at the start of 2011 because, like Svantec, he'd already won a Grand Slam title by then. He'd already established himself as a contender and a and a part of the, the mix and a part of the conversation at all times at every Grand Slam, but he wasn't dominant. He It was still the Nadal and, and Federer show, and he was kind of the interloper in the eyes of many, and then suddenly he comes and he wins... 40-something matches, absolutely thrashing Federer and Nadal along the way multiple times. And Sviantek's suddenly doing that. Okay, she hasn't got rivals of their ilk at the moment. She's got a pool of players she's just putting to the sword time after time. And it, But it does have a similar feel going into Roland Garros to, to what Djokovic had back then. He didn't win it, of course. But, but she, it would be a surprise, and it is a mix of one. Cosine, yeah. Mix of one. This was the week where that became clear to me, I think. Um, because we hadn't seen Sviantec in, in Madrid, I think it needed this confirmation in Rome, probably, for it to be a mix of one. But she's just picked up where she left off in Stuttgart, was arguably even more impressive in Rome. She's played all her biggest rivals, really, over the course of this couple of months. You know, she's beaten them all players who you think would have a chance to beat her she's seen off normally pretty pretty comfortably and yeah I'm really scratching my head trying to think of a time where there was such a overwhelming favorite going into a women's major but it's definitely Sviantec and I think we're at the stage where her biggest opponent is probably herself you know I mean we've We've seen her win a slam before, so it's not even she's not even got to answer that question. You know, it's not like it's not like this is Annette Contivate at the end of last season where she's winning everything, but then you always wonder, okay, but can she do it at a slam? Well Shvontek's already won a slam. Okay, there's a different pressure there. She's got to try and win a second. She's not done that before. There's a different rhythm to Grand Slams, to tour events. All of that I think is is the biggest obstacle for Shvontek rather than any one individual opponent because she's just shown herself to be so much better at the moment. Let's mentally go back to February. Let's imagine it's February. We've just watched Ash Barty win the Australian Open on home turf, confirm herself as the seemingly unassailable world number one. Imagine us all being told then that Ash Barty would retire and there would still be a mix of one for Roland Garros. It is... Just extraordinary the way Iga Shrontek has filled that void and expanded into the void. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's. I, I know we've talked about it on pretty much every show since she confirmed herself as the world number one, but it is, it's mind-boggling, really, what she's done. I never saw this coming. I really didn't. I, I, I I've thought ever since she won that French Open that she would win more Grand Slams, that she would spend some time as world number one. I didn't see this kind of Serena Williams, Steffi Graf-esque domination coming. I really didn't. And I think 
I think what's most terrifying for all her opposition is that she's had lots of different types of win recently, particularly in Rome. She 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 had wins where she wasn't playing particularly well. I don't think she played particularly well against Victoria Azarenka, did she? She was spraying um, a, a lot of unforced errors that day. I mean, it was still a 6-4, 6-1 victory, but it felt a lot closer than that. There there were moments in that match where you did wonder if uh, if Iga Shvantec would, you know, would be able to come through, particularly in the first set. She Boy, was she challenged in the opening set against Bianca Andreescu. Bianca Andreescu brought it and it was brilliant for a set and it was just 1% not good enough and Andreescu was unable to stay with her for that second set. You know, it, it's soul-destroying bringing your absolute best and it not in not being good enough and and you feeling like you're having to absolutely redline it to keep up with her and her just seeming completely in her comfort zone that's it she's winning these matches with such ease and yet yeah she's completely in her comfort zone Irina Sabalenka completely different opposition absolutely destroyed her 6-2-6-1 and then the final yesterday I mean okay on Zjibur maybe Maybe running out of gas a bit, but uh, you know, two and two in the final. It, it's an extraordinary run she's on. Absolutely extraordinary. I would be. No one's going to say foregone conclusion, obviously, <laughs> because it's totally not. I agree. Her biggest opponent is herself. Maybe, maybe she'll get three rounds in and go. Oh my god. Oh my god, I can only lose this. I can't I can't imagine that state of mind where anything other than winning a grand slam will feel like a failure. But that's almost where she is now. We will Well she's got to trick herself. She's got to she's Absolutely got to... and and look, she's mentally she's been impervious for, for twenty eight matches. Completely impervious. But maybe that will be different at a grand slam. It's it who knows? But it would be extremely surprising if she does not win this French Open. What you're saying there about her sort of confidence on court and the way she's able to win matches, maybe without playing at her best, it struck me this week that she is both an amazing front runner. You know, we've known that. As soon as she's got the first set in these matches, she then runs away with the second set so often and, you know, can put down six one six love sets a lot of them so it's always felt like your chance is at the start of a match and I think we saw that a bit with Andrescu we saw that with Azarenka but if you don't take your chance then it's over and it's such a small window and it's hard because Sviontek herself is also a fast starter you know it's not like it's not like she's slow out the gate she's broken serve in nine of her last 11 matches, the first chance she's had to break serve. Wow. Which is it's like a statement. It's mind blowing, isn't it? She's, and it, I think it's just an illustration of the confidence she has. She doesn't need any time at the moment to find her game, find her rhythm. She's, she's just starting brilliantly and putting opponents on the back foot in the same way she's putting them on the back foot in rallies by taking the ball early. She, she just, screams confidence at the moment and I think I don't know what it's going to take to sort of burst that bubble but the only thing I can imagine is the pressure of a grand slam as I said and herself I think she'll handle it I think she'll win the French Open but to me that is the biggest question going into I think we saw just just a flicker of it when Anstubur was coming back at her yesterday because it looked one didn't it? It looked like, as you said, Catherine, Anstruber was out of gas, but also up against a player, the likes of which she hasn't played in those 11 previous matches that she's won. And this is this is another thing altogether. I, I didn't think Jabeur was playing badly. But then she she got energised. She got given just half a centimetre to, to get a foot in the door. And she, she wrenched it open, some shot-making... The, type, the likes of which we just rejoice in when we watch Anstruber. She can she can cause anybody difficulties with that shot making. And then she got completely uh, enthused and energized by the adrenaline. And she waved her hands to the, the crowd. And I thought, 
actually, if the crowd get involved and Jobert gets inspired, this could be really, really close, this set, all the way through. And she had, what, three break points. And, and it was glorious tennis in that little spell, which Svantec weathered. And the reaction on match point, sinking to her knees, after, what was it, a 6-2, 6-2 win, you know, sinking to her knees and sobbing for quite a few seconds tells you just how much this is taking for her to do it, to hold it together. And I think that that, and, and look, I think it's all very healthy um, that, that she reacts and shows emotion, but I don't think it's, it's not effortless. This, this is requiring great ambition, great ruthlessness, great test of mental strength for her to be doing what she's doing as well as all the skill. Well, to be fair, David, she's not used to losing games in Rome finals. So, um, <laughs> no. so, so four games probably felt like maximum jeopardy for her. <laughs> and while I totally agree with your point, David, I do think weathered is not is not giving Svantec perhaps the credit that she deserves for saving those break points with all of them with winners. I mean, as soon as as soon as Jabir raised her level. Fiontech just raised hers even more. And I think she saved the first one with a drive volley forehand winner and then the next two with backhand winners. One of them, she got to an amazing drop shot and hit a sort of counter drop shot. Like, as soon as there was pressure, she just responded to it and just showed her that, you know, no, my level's the best. You know, you might be the Madrid champion, you're turning it on at the moment, but... I'm the world number one. It, it was kind of that was that sort of tennis from Svantec when she needed it most. She can hit winners on her forehand where every other player in the game can only hit a rally ball. You know, someone can hit a really, you know, deep, heavy shot, but provided she's, you know, in a in a relatively decent position and she's a good mover, so there's a lot of places on the court that are relatively decent positions she can smack a winner where i don't think anyone else in the game can takes her by surprise doesn't it yeah because there's that last minute yeah hitch almost on her shot and Mm. you've no idea which way to go in either yeah it's uh it's it's extraordinary she's um she's an absolute force at the moment can we have a word for ons jabeur because i'm not sure anybody really expected her to reach this Rome final go on this run that uh that she went on she definitely didn't when she was match point down in two previous matches or I don't think she wasn't actually quite she was a set and five two wasn't she um in the quarterfinal and then match point down in the semi-final Matt will set me straight if that's wrong um so let's have a word for her and also a word for the drop shot return (laughs) which is my new favorite thing the tween is out, folks. The drop shot return is in. She's ditched her Dominic team and Denis Shapovalov inside out, feet off the ground, single-handed backhand in favour yep. of... Drop shot return. I'm all about it. There's something very mean about a drop shot return. Because I think it's the last thing you're expecting as a as a server, I think, that you're... You know, you're in control of the point, aren't you, when you serve? And you're immediately then put on the back foot... Of, before you've even had a chance to hit another shot with Ons Jabeur's drop shot return. It's it's mocking. I, I also think at, at club level, sort of 80% of the time it's an accident, isn't it? You know they didn't mean it, <laughs> which makes it come doubly irritating. Yeah. That's conservative. Um, I'm, looking, I'm looking at you, David. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also regarded very much as bad form. You don't, yeah. don't do that to my serve. And mm. I do wonder whether some players think that almost like the underarm serve so don't don't do that to my serve don't think you can but it. i think ons jabeur is so loved she can get away with anything can't mm. she and she boy can she get away with a drop shot return i love it yeah i love it and what i have loved about watching ons jabeur particularly this week because as you said she had to fight through six one five two down against sakari daria kasakina served for the match you know she really didn't have any kind of right to be in that final based on some of the positions she was in at those matches but she manages to combine this really fun variety filled game that we all love with fight and grit and spirit and those two things together is such a 
such a fun combination. I think backing up Madrid, where we wondered whether the conditions were really helping her there, doing it in Rome when she's tired. I think this is a really amazing week. And she, you know, if it weren't for Sviantec, I think she would be in the mix, to be honest. We're having a mix for the final now, Matt. Okay, so who's in our sub-mix? Well, just look, just because we need we need stuff to talk about. Well, Sviantec's got to have an opponent, so we need to have a mix yes. for the final. Well, the thing yes, is, who's in the final mix? Well, obviously, hang on. Anyone who's not on, I don't, her side I don't of think the draw. we can. I don't think we can frame it that way, David, because it, that all depends on the draw. Yeah, right, pre-draw mix for pre, final. Pre-draw, <laughs> pre-draw final mix. Well, who will be the second seed? Balosa. Well, does it depend on Barbora Krejcikova, whether she plays yes, or not? Yes, I think it might do. I mean, even if she does play, it's hard to see her in even a submix, isn't isn't it? Because she'll have played so little, well, slash, J- if at all. Jaber has got in the submix. The thing is, if if Sviantec loses early, the mix is massive. But I think Jaber would be at the top of it. But it's but you know we're talking thirty or forty players probably I think if Sviantec loses. So cool. Okay, well that's that's we've suddenly gone from only having one player to talk about to having forty to talk about. Could, <laughs> could I, that's what the this, draw shows for. For the sake of this podcast, I'm just going to fire some names at you, and you can say you can both say yes or no to being in the sub mix. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't like this, but okay. Matt doesn't like it. Matt All right, can we do it for the draw then? <laughs> Well, we're doing it for the draw, Matt, so you better get on with it. Why don't you like it, Matt? Because if Sviantec's in, in the draw, the mix is one. The sub-mix, that's not a thing. That's irrelevant. If Sviantec's not in the well, draw, it's be... then it's a massive <laughs> mix. <laughs> become a friend, a become mix. a friend of the tennis podcast for <laughs> daily Grand Slam shows where we only talk about Iga Sviantec because she's the only one that's relevant. <laughs> I mean, I think even Iga Sviantec <laughs> fans might get bored of that, Matt. I'm enjoying this. Catherine going at Matt for a change. This is great. <laughs> is Arena Sabalenka in the sub mix? Matt, it can't be Matt, mix. Nothing to do with sit mix. On the sidelines. Okay. Also it, runs. <laughs> well, while I'm firing the names at David, Matt, you can come up with a name for this group of players that isn't Igor Shvontek, okay? That you're comfortable with. David. Is yeah. Irina Sabalenka in it? No. Is Paola Bedosa in it? Yes. Well, she should be, but she's been letting you and I down lately. So she has, hasn't she? I don't understand what's happening with Paola Bedosa. She at has the, the ingredients for the recipe. So. For the mixed recipe. Just, for the sub mix recipe. I'm just going to leave that there. Oh. Is Bianca Andrescu in the, the not sub mix? Yes. Emirati Kanu, and, and I'm I'm saying that because I just like her so much. Emirati Kanu, no. Maria Sakkari, yes. I'd put Raducanu ahead of Sakkari. What? Raducanu's got a bad back. Maria Sakkari's got a bad brain. No, she hasn't. She has. She's, no, she she's, hasn't. She's got a problem. She's got she's, a problem. She's got got a mental hurdle to overcome. I agree. But, but but it's getting worse, not better, David. I mean, when mental when baggage accumulates, she was really close to being in that final last year. She beat Sviantec yeah. last year, and she lost from match point up. I, I, I'm not doubting the game or her will, or I'm thinking that this there'll, baggage, there'll these losses from her head, are I, accumulating. I, I do agree with you, but I think her game is so good that. She can win a lot of matches, and I don't think at the moment Raducanu's body will get her close. But her to game, even, David, even get her, through the second week. Her technique, her technique, falls apart when she gets tight. Yeah, but she will get, I think, probably quite deep into the second week before that becomes relevant. Sure, I, don't think I think she'll. Will. I, I, she's in a mix to get deep in the second week. Absolutely. That's what we're calling it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I absolutely. So, d- she. I would back her to reach the quarterfinals. Look, I, there I, do, is... I do think she's got a problem. I, I don't. I, I'm not saying she hasn't because we, we've talked about that a number of times. Um, but I just feel like there may well become come a moment the way there was with Lendl 
I mean, he he lost loads of Grand Slam finals before he won one, and I think that that did might... he win any of them from a set and five two or oh sorry lose any of them from a set and five two or from match I, point up or I don't know. I just think this the these are scarring losses. They are, but then they, they can heal. I think Zachary would be one of the most dangerous opponents for Sviontek because. Yeah, true. Because the pressure would be on Sviontek. Yes, Sviontek would be expected to win that match. And I think it would help Zachary be a bit freer. I, I, I think. I think the finish line might be a tricky place for for Zachary in that match. That might be the only point where suddenly she's expected to win. You know, she has beaten Sviontek before, including at the French Open last year. What you want is a is a freewheeling Zachary, a loose Zachary, and that's really hard to get because, as you said, she is tight. Mm. But I think in that scenario, it's possible that Zachary might be that. If, if I'm if I'm looking at opponents for for Sviontek who are dangerous, I, I do think Zachary. Yeah, that's a good point. But then I would think she would lose the next match. Yeah, pressure's on her. <laughs> um, but you you want the Zachary that saved six match points against Jessica Pagula in oh, Miami yeah. last year. She's great at match point down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a very good point, Matt. Okay, um, Jessica Pagula, is she in the... No. No? Crikey, okay. Well, right. you think you think she's got a chance to get to the final? I mean, realistic chance? I don't. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I can't I do. see it. Okay, folks, well, that's your... <laughs> <laughs> that's your I mean it's a pretty sparse sub mix I mean someone's got to get to the final well we got we can Halep draw Simona Halep well I mean had you asked me that question halfway through Madrid when you had given us your voice note of how good she looked I would have completely agreed with you um, and then she lost two straight matches pretty unimpressively I would say mm. Yeah, I completely I mean, she, agree. She lost Difficult to Daniel to Collins know. here, and uh, I can't remember who she lost to in Madrid, but it was, mm. was it Jabir? It was Jabir, yeah. I mean, Jabir right, was brilliant that day. Um, but still, I would have expected it to be closer. But I think I would have to put Halep in the submix just because she's yes, she's won the thing. I agree. And there might not yeah. be that many other people in the draw that have won the thing. I mean, Barbora Krajikov is a, a TBC, isn't she? Mm. Um, okay, well, that's your that's your women's French Open preview to the preview. Uh, we will be record. <laughs> we're all going to go to the draw on Thursday, uh, and we'll be recording the show after the draw when we find out who's got a chance of reaching the final. Who are the lucky chosen few that aren't in the same half of the draw as Eager Schwiontek? Uh, let's talk about the men's tournament in Rome, which was won by Novak Djokovic in emphatic fashion. Um, If there were any question marks about his form, about whether there was time for him to play himself into form to find his physical fitness ahead of Roland Garros, his first Grand Slam of the season, those questions are answered. He, for me, after beating Stefanos Tsitsipas in the final yesterday, 6-love, 7-6. P.S. Well done, Tsitsipas, for for recovering from the shock of that first set and making it a match. But nonetheless, Djokovic is there. And by there, I mean exactly where he wants to be ahead of the French Open. Yeah, absolutely perfect week for Novak Djokovic in Rome. Didn't lose a set. Beat, I would say, some of the sort of sub-contenders for Roland Garros. You know, he he didn't, just to coin another term that I can't (laughs) properly define, but, you know. Sub's getting a lot of use today, isn't it? (laughs) Basically, he beat Auger Eliassime, Rude, and I think Sitsipas is in the mix, but players there who, you know, he could meet in the quarterfinals or something at at Roland Garros who who are good players, and he beat them all having to play really well. And I think the OG Aliassime match in particular was the one I will remember as where Djokovic found his best tennis. You know, if we're talking about Novak Djokovic winning Roland Garros in a couple of weeks' time, I will look back at that match as the one where everything suddenly clicked for him. 
in particular the forehand. It was an absolute revelation how well he was hitting that shot. And you, and you think back to Monte Carlo just a month ago and how physically spent he was after two sets with Davidovic Fakina. He's come such a long way in those four weeks. He's just progressed week on week. Um, you know, Belgrade was better than Monte Carlo. Madrid was better than Belgrade. And now Rome was the best of the lot. I now make Novak Djokovic my pick for Erlon Garros. I've always, I've always said Nadal just because of his record there and the history he's got there. And I respect that history so much. But obviously we'll talk about his foot. And I think with such big uncertainty over Nadal, I then have to go to Novak Djokovic with him looking like this. The defending champion, five sets, timing this run of form, the experience he's got, how hungry he will be to get back level in the Grand Slam race. It's all come together for him. And I think Rome was the absolutely perfect week. Given that then, Matt, was it a mistake for Alcaraz not to play Rome? No, not necessarily. I mean, he's got an injury, hasn't he? I, I, I genuinely do think he probably needed to rest that, that foot. I'm I'm not convinced he would have pulled out of Rome had he not had the injury. I think I think that is significant there for him in that in terms of that decision. You, you don't think he was following David Law's advice? I, I love to think that he was. <laughs> Power play. <laughs> um, interesting, very interesting, Matt. Re, your French Open pick, David. Uh, is your Alcaraz conviction shaken at all? P.S., just while we're sort of bringing Carlos Alcaraz into the chat, I think Alcaraz played Djokovic into form in Madrid last mm. week. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Um, I, I think, look, I think in a way what what's happened in terms of the, the overall landscape is that Djokovic has replaced Nadal as the biggest threat to Alcaraz is how I would look at it because, I uh, I mean, again, we'll talk about Nadal, but he, he it's hard to imagine him being a contender for the actual title if he's in any anything like that physical state. Um, Djokovic... I think I think has undergone the most fascinating mental transformation in the last few weeks, really, because I think, and this is only the eye test. I haven't spoken to him. I've heard things he said, and hearing things he said, and looking in his eyes when he's been playing these matches, I think he he played in Monte Carlo and and Belgrade self consciously. I think he was. I think he's been embarrassed by what happened in Australia. I think he was shaken by it all without necessarily realising it. I think he kind of said as much that he didn't really realise how much it had got to him, that whole thing of of um, of him being an outcast and being kicked out of the country. I think it, I think it was embarrassing for him. And um, and even though he, he felt that he was in the right, I think he, that, that whole thing was, was probably a bit more... Um, damaging to his sort of confidence than he realized and uh and I think he I think he was rattled and then he came out into Madrid and he found himself as he went along and he wasn't far away was he against Alcaraz let's let's be honest he he played well in that match and then and then he found another level in Rome and I think what we saw on Rome is a player who'd who'd shaken off those shackles of self-doubt and self-consciousness and and was just playing with a chip on his shoulder, which is the best Novak Djokovic. He was playing like a man who was gonna gonna show us all who's the man, who's the boss, who's the best player, um, without any self doubt whatsoever. That's that's what I saw in his eyes. Is come on, bring it on, all of you. Sitsipas, Rude, Ojaliasim. I wish Alcaraz was here because I want to beat him too. Is what I saw in his eyes. And I saw that when he played Nadal in that semi-final at Roland Garros last year. He lost the first set, what was it, six love that day? Or six one, something like that? And yet he still didn't feel that far behind because he believed in himself that day. He didn't believe in himself when they played each other in the Roland Garros a year before. And there's the difference. This guy, when he believes in himself, 
Cordy, I don't know how you, I don't know how you stop him, and yet I still look at Alcaraz and think that there's a guy down the other end that's got something that we've never seen before. So, isn't that the most mouth-watering prospect imaginable? The the indestructible Novak Djokovic when he's in this mindset against a new superhero. It is mouth-watering, David, but I am going to press you. Is Alcaraz still your pick for Roland Garros, despite that lovely soliloquy you just delivered about Novak Djokovic? Yes, he is. Wow, it really really is mouth-watering. What about you, Catherine? You said last week Alcaraz. Yeah, I think I am sticking with Alcaraz, but but I I think I'm of David's mind. Djokovic has moved ahead of... Mm. Nadal for me and that's both because of what Djokovic did last week I agree with everything David's just said but also because of what we saw from Nadal this week in Rome which was um, quite tough to watch actually some of the scenes um, during his match against Denis Shapovalov I know he came to press after that defeat and said he wasn't too worried but I don't think I've ever seen Nadal, who who surely has the highest pain threshold we've ever seen in tennis, uh, look th- that distressed, or that visibly distressed on court. I mean, he must have been in agony. He was he was bent double at the back of the court. He was he was wincing. He was shaking his head. You just don't see that from Rafael Nadal, the absolute master of positive body language and staying in the moment um it was extremely troubling to see and yes I know this foot injury is a known quantity and you know the the fact that it's causing him pain isn't something new or shocking but I think the extent of it is was new and shocking to, to me um and that's before he started playing best of five tennis. Um, it seems to me that it, it gets worse over the course of a, a match. So if someone can hang tough with him and and make a match long and physical, it's hard to see how the foot won't won't play a part. And yet it's still Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros and he's won 13 of them and something that defies defies physics and biology could still happen. But the the very rational part of my brain is is looking at those images of him in excruciating pain a few nights ago and just thinking it's surely not possible. Well, why does clay cause a problem more than hard court? If we if you look at the he won the Australian Open when he was nearly retired from the sport and he got through it and that Nadal. Djokovic semi last year at the Roland Garros is when he really hit the wall with it. And here he is again. I wonder what, whether, is that just coincidence? I mean, I, I don't expect you to give me an answer, but I... <laughs> could could be sliding, couldn't it? I, I, I don't know is the answer. Could be something to do with sliding. That's an even harder um... question than who's in the submix, David. <laughs> <laughs> is Nadal in the submix? He's in the mix. Nadal's in the mix. <laughs> no, Nadal, Nadal could play Roland Garros as an 80-year-old and be in the mix. <laughs> yeah. An 80-year-old with two gammy feet and be in the mix. I mean, I mean, I must say, some of his quotes, I think particularly in Spanish, Chris Clary tweeted that, you know, he'd never really heard such dark words from Nadal in terms of how he talks about the foot more for his day-to-day life, perhaps, even than his tennis. You know, he says that pain takes away your happiness and there is going to come a point. He didn't say when that point is going to be, but, you know, honestly, it didn't sound that far away where his head is just going to say, enough, I can't I can't take any more of this. And he did say he's going to travel to Roland Garros with his doctor, which he thinks can maybe make a difference. Um, and honestly, it, it feels kind of unreasonable speculating about what might happen with the foot because it might be fine but just the possibility that it might not be and it's a growing possibility you'd have to think based on what we saw in Rome 
just the fact that it is, that it exists and it is flaring up badly because I agree that's as bad as we've ever seen it on court that's enough for me to change my pick to Djokovic for example because you know we've seen the dull come into Roland Garros with bad form for example in the past or not peak form anyway and still win the title there or be the favorite there but when you add in this this injury and you add in the form of Djokovic and the form of Alcaraz even the form of Tsitsipas there are so many other good players that it feels like Nadal's going to have to go through two of them at least probably depending on the draw and with the foot as well it's just a such a big ask of course it's possible it's Nadal he won the Australian Open this year and I didn't give him a chance of winning the Australian Open this year so who knows but logically I just sort of can't quite go with Nadal at the moment despite everything he's done at that tournament which normally makes him an automatic pick for me mm. Yeah, it's t- it's it it's tough talking about Nadal in in those times, and you know it's very um it's very Andy Murray like, isn't it? Hearing him talk about just the day to day pain of living, it's tough. It's it's tough to hear about that, quite frankly, um, because obviously there's a huge part of me that just wants to see Nadal playing tennis and looking like the Nadal that we know. And is such a part of our lives and consciousness for as for as long as possible. And there's another part of me that thinks that's just that's just sadism, isn't it? Just you know, why why are we wanting him to put himself through this agony for our for our enjoyment? Um, where's sit to pass in your thoughts ahead of the French Open, and and also on sit to pass, is he a better player than is he? more of a contender at this year's French Open than he was in your mind ahead of last year's French Open. Look, I've been impressed by Sitsipas by and large on clay this season. You know, when I saw him at Monte Carlo, I remember being just being shocked at how how I hadn't really remembered how good a player he was on clay and how how different he can look on clay to to a hard court. Um and yet still I'm not sure he's ahead of where he was last year going into Roland Garros. When I think about that, finally played against Nadal in Barcelona last year and how close he was. Um, I don't know. Has he moved on in the last 12 months? As good a player on clay as he is, like full stop as he is. It's weird, isn't it? Because I test wise, I don't think I'm as impressed with Sitsipas this year as I was last year. And that might be because last year it was a bit new. I mean, we knew he was good on clay, but he took a step last year and it was quite thrilling to watch that. And it was a breakthrough of sorts for him, wasn't it? Um, winning Monte Carlo, getting to the Roland Garros final. These were all things he hadn't done before. So there was real, I suppose, excitement attached to it. We we come on 12 months later and we're kind of expecting him to do those things again. And he has done them again, which is incredibly impressive. It's just maybe not quite so exhilarating. Um, I don't think he's quite playing as well, I think, but he's still having good results. And I think that probably is a sign that he has matured a bit on court. I think he's still got a long way to go there. But... I think he is now capable of winning matches necessarily when he's not at his best. Um, And going into Roland Garros, for me, the biggest problem he's got is his record against the contenders, you know, the ones above him. He's lost his last six matches against Djokovic, including two at Roland Garros, albeit five setters. And he's lost all three he's ever played against Alcaraz. And in a a head-to-head... I would struggle to see him winning those matches. Um, But overall, I mean, his game on clay is so good. He beat Sinner and Zverev this week in interesting circumstances. You know, Sinner, he had the crowd against him. Zverev, he just lost to last week. He had to sort of reassert dominance in that head-to-head. These are are all great signs and great things that he did. He's, he's, He's almost right there. It's just, I think, there are players who are even better than him. And that's the only reason that he isn't absolutely right at the top because his results have been the most consistent. You know, 
across anyone really on the clay who's played all of the events. Is mm, he stood still while while others have slightly accelerated past him? Perhaps well, I, th- I think Alcaraz has, has just changed the view in a way. Mm. Um, and I, look, I, I don't think Sitsipas is in quite such good form, but I think he's trying to add things to his game that weren't there a year ago. So, and I think any time you do that, that can make things a little bit clunky for a while when you're trying to work out or when do you incorporate that little What's he adding? adjustment. I think he's trying to add a block return, but I don't think he necessarily knows when to hit that or how to hit it for the best and whether to stand in and hit it or stand back and hit it and all the rest of it. Um, but I, I also feel as though best of five set tennis seven matches to get to the to the get to the title i think he's got time to find that form over the next two weeks and i don't think he necessarily needs some of the some of the improvements that he might need on grass and on a hard court i don't think he necessarily needs them on a clay court he could stand back and take full swings and loop and and do all the things that he does so well and and i i still think at roland garros I'd be quite concerned for my pick Alcaraz if they faced each other. I still think Sitsipas can beat Alcaraz. I also think Alcaraz can beat Sitsipas. I don't think that that is mm. a, a, an inevitability that I think maybe some people might be assuming. Um, but well, we'll see whether we get that far. But I think I think I'd be surprised if Sitsipas isn't in the quarterfinals, probably the semifinals, and with a real chance to 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 go to the final. But not win it. I don't see him winning it. I would put Djokovic and Alcaraz ahead of him. But mm. if if Sitsipas happened to, well, not at the moment, no. But then then that's because of of the known mm. quantity of Nadal's foot as it stands. Most recent eye test, you know. Obviously, if Nadal suddenly was fine, then Nadal would be ahead of him. Goodness me, I cannot wait for Roland Garros. I really can't. It's Six such days, a great folks. tournament, isn't it? Isn't Six the surface... Days. I know you, Matt, you're always talking about clay. I have come round to clay more than ever the last couple of years. And it's, and you haven't even been to Roland Garros no, yet. No, I know. David is making his French Open debut this year's folks, this year. Um, how pumped are you, David? I mean, I'm off the scale pumped, but I'm really trying hard to just calm myself down and take it one step at a time. I because I can't believe there's a Grand Slam tournament you haven't been to. No, and no. it's just, it's delicious. All it's of it hilarious. is delicious. We're getting the Uri Star all together on Thursday, folks. I'm worried about being to commence. I'm worried about being too pumped, Catherine, because remember how pumped I was for the US Open, and I ended up on well halfway through it. So. Yeah, well, that's why that's why I'm there to to <laughs> monitor your blood pressure at every yes. every step of the way. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. John Isner and Diego Schwartzman teamed up in the doubles. They had a match point. They lost to uh, Mektic and Pavic. Um, Isner is the first player ever to reach three ATP Masters 1000 doubles finals with three different partners in the same year. Uh, he's also partnered Jack Sock and Hubert Hercatch. Um, they've played before, haven't they, Isner and Schwartzman? I think the first time they played together, everyone thought it was, you know, a joke. For I mean, us come all. on, it still is Just... the funniest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> but they're also quite a successful doubles team i don't know whether, maybe it did start as a joke and then they went oh, actually well they're quite really good. good they could still be yeah. very funny to look at one bloke six foot ten and one bloke what is he five foot four it's five very arnold schwarzenegger danny devito <laughs> yeah vibes isn't it that's probably a film matt isn't aware of do you know what i'm referring to matt oh twins matt. this is sad isn't it um Catherine, I think with you, the poster, you, the poster where they're like, wasn't one of them leaning on the other? Yes. Yeah, I yes. do know. I've not, I've not seen the, the film, one. but I'm aware of, I'm aware of it. Catherine, I think you were two when it came out. Yeah, I mean, I didn't go and see it at the cinema, but <laughs> I you know, I, I, I watched it at some stage in my childhood. <laughs> it was always on the telly, wasn't it? Always. Yeah. Danny DeVito, they, they were twins, but Danny DeVito was sort of the genetic material left over from Arnold Schwarzenegger in the womb. That was the that was the plot anyway. Um, but anyway, they, it was uh, Mektic and Pavic that won the doubles title yesterday, the men's doubles title. The women's doubles title uh, was won by Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova and Veronika Kudamatova. They came from a set down to beat the Madrid champions... Uh, Gabriela Dabrowski and Juliana Olmos. Uh, some other bits and bobs of news for you from this week. Matteo Berrettini out of Roland Garros. He actually announced this in quite a sort of positive post on his social media saying, look, my my hand is healing. I'm back hitting balls again. My road to recovery is going well, but I've discussed with my team and they think going straight back in at best of five tennis is probably not smart. So I'm going to focus on, on the grass. And that seems very, very smart to me. Yeah. Um, and we like watching Matteo Berrettini on grass, don't we? So that's something to look forward to. Yes, absolutely. And this wasn't surprising because as, as you say, as upbeat as that message was, the most recent video I'd seen of Berrettini, he was hitting with his left hand. That was like two days before so I thought okay well he's not playing very Dominic team vibes and and his two-handed backhand is not even that good is it so (laughs) you don't I don't I don't hold too much hope for his left hand brutal uh Andy Murray is not playing Roland Garros uh it's was it yesterday's 35th birthday or today yesterday yesterday Yesterday, happy 35th birthday to Andy Murray. Uh, Yes, he won't be playing Roland Garros. I think it was, I mean, that was the original announcement, wasn't it? I won't be playing clay this season. And it was, you know, Madrid Madrid was the blip. Um, And he got two very good matches against two top players, didn't he? And was unlucky not to be able to play Djokovic. But I think he got what he needed from Madrid. And um, I suspect we'll see him playing... A grass court event, second week of Roland Garros. That's when Surbiton is, isn't it? I suspect, uh, I reckon we're going to see him pop up on grass week two, the French Open. That's my prediction. Like when he played, where was it? He was playing in Mallorca, wasn't he, when the US Open was oh, going yes. on a few years Beat, ago. Uh, Norbert Gombos. Norbert Gombos. Who, ironically, is the player that's got into the French Open main draw as a result of Andy Murray's withdrawal. There you go. Um 
Jem's life are having a baby in October. Lovely. Baby girl. Oh. I think. Have I made that up? Yes, they did say that. They did say that. Yes. Lovely news. I'm, I'm very glad they didn't. One of my pet hates in life, it really creeps me out when people announce their pregnancy and tell you what what the baby is called while it's still a fetus. They say, baby Melissa coming in October freaks me out. I'm very glad they didn't do that. Just... Uh, what if what if she comes out and she doesn't look like a Melissa? <laughs> what does a Melissa look like? What if you have a really bad experience with someone called Melissa in the next five months? <laughs> You've announced Change... it on Instagram now. You've stitched yourself right up. Change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm delighted for uh, for Gem's life. Many congratulations to them. That is uh, that's Gemolfis and Alina Svitolina for anybody not uh, tennis Instagram literate. There you go, uh, Naomi Osaka has left IMG to start her own agency, Evolve. She's uh, she's taken her longtime agent Stuart Duguid with her. This is a move that sort of all um, superstar big players seem to perform at some point in their careers. Roger Federer did it, didn't he? Andy Murray's done it. Um, Actually, Rafael Nadal hasn't done it, has he? He's uh, he's stuck with IMG, but Maria Sharapova did it. Well, I, th- I think Carlos Costa, who worked for IMG, basically moved on, I think, um, and, and kind of set up around him. So I'm not exactly sure what Nadal's arrangement is now. Um, but, I mean, even when I think right back to Pete Sampras, he was with a, a guy called Jeff Schwartz of IMG, and he went and left IMG and this. So you're right. I mean, this has been going on ever since I've known about agents. Yeah, it's no, it's no massive surprise, is it? It'd be interesting to see if it sort of changes her direction of corporate travel. Um, gosh, that was the most boring thing I've ever said. Let's move on quickly. Uh, Laura Robson has announced her retirement from tennis uh, today. It's difficult to know how to react to this because it's obviously no great surprise at all. I mean, she hasn't played a professional match for years. I don't think she's played one since the pandemic. David, you were recollecting earlier about her attempt to come back in, in 2019, which was very short-lived. I mean, her body just hasn't been able to stand professional sport for for some time now. I mean, I've lost track of the numbers of pictures we've seen of her in a in a hospital bed um you know heading into surgery it's uh look I don't want to I don't want to get too many violins out for her because I think she's a great broadcaster a really good and improving all the time commentator she reads the game so well she's a pleasure to work with on prime video and I hope she has the broadcasting career she deserves and whatever career she deserves. Cause I know she's been exploring um, being a tournament director, that side of things as well. She's, she's a smart cookie and I think she's got a great career ahead of her. Um, but also it is unavoidably sad, isn't it? When you look back at the, the potential that she had as a player and, and how, you know, factors just intervened and said, no, it's not happening for you. Mm. Well, I, I remember being covering Wimbledon when she won this as a junior age, just 14. Let's not forget that. That's that's quite something in its own right. And then when she joined the main tour and beat Kim Clijsters and Lee Nahr at the US Open, it was so exciting uh, to, to cover that story. It was the closest thing to, to Emma Raducanu that I've experienced that wasn't Raducanu, quite honestly. And... Uh, and she beat Petra Kvitova at the Australian Open. It just all seemed like it was inevitable that that this is this would be a woman who would go to the top ten in the world, be a Grand Slam champion. All of these things felt like they would happen back then, and uh, and so I'm dreadfully sad about it because she she wanted it. She was stopped from playing 
in uh, short, you know, a year after that uh, that win over Petra Kvitova, she never she was never the same again after that, and had three years out with a wrist surgery, then all the hip problems. And as you say, I mean, I share your views on her as a broadcaster, and her her love of the game comes through in her broadcasting because she is following it all the time. She's right clued up on everything that's going on, and. Uh, yeah, I can't help but feel sad about it. Not surprised, but uh, really do wish her well. Yeah, we really do. Good luck, Laura. Um, so that's just about it. Obviously, there are tournaments this week. The ATP Tour is in Geneva. Dennis, Medve- Dennis Medvedev. That would be the <laughs> rapping partnership name, wouldn't it? There was a uh, <laughs> a troll video posted yesterday or a troll post yesterday from some social media account attributing quotes to to Daniil Medvedev uh, suggesting he had done a rap collab uh, with Denis Shapovalov. Um, and if I were Daniil Medvedev, I would be suing for that uh, libelous suggestion. Uh, but no, Daniil Medvedev returning uh, to action post hernia surgery in Geneva. Denis Shapovalov is there, so maybe they will wrap together. Who knows? Kasper Ruud, Dominic Team, uh, and there's also an event in Lyon this week where Cameron Norrie is the top seed for the WTA there in Strasbourg, where Karolina Pliskova, Sloane Stevens, Angelique Kerber are all in action, and Garbinia Muguruza is the top seed in Rabat this week. Goodness me, what a weird season Muguruza is having. Um, after winning the WTA finals at the end of last year. Uh, we'll be back with a draw show uh, to kick off our French Open dailies on Thursday. We absolutely cannot wait. We are pumped, uh, but we are healthy levels of pumped, David, and that is how we're yeah. staying. Um, before that, we have two Tennis Relived shows coming your way for Friends of the Tennis Podcast on Tuesday. Uh, we'll be recording the Mats Verlander 1982 show and on Wednesday, the Amelie Moresmo story. If you'd like to become a friend of the pod, the link is in our show notes. If you're already a friend of the podcast at intro level, thank you. Uh, but if you haven't sent us your intro yet please do send it to us email it to us at friends at tennispodcast.net we want to make sure that if you've paid for an intro you get your intro um we have our wilson competition winner you might remember from our recent shows that we were running a competition in collaboration with wilson for a pair of tickets to roland garros they have been won by claire white Congratulations, Claire. Um, there will be more competitions available for Friends of the Com- of the Tennis Podcast throughout 2022. So eyes and ears pe- peeled for that, folks. We have a mascot for today, and that is Frida, owned by Kevin Lee. She is one years old, one year old. She's a one-year-old, adopted from the Humane Society in Minnesota, where she had been brought after living a year as a stray in Texas. Uh, Her hobbies include snuggles, destroying magazines, and being perpetually disappointed that she cannot get Kevin's two cats to play with her. She is so beautiful. She's... uh, She's got one ear up, one ear down in the in the photo that we're being presented with, which will be in our newsletter. And that is one of my favourite looks on a dog, the one ear up, one ear down vibe. And she's doing those eyes that say, I I live a terribly sad life. No one ever gives me food. No one ever cuddles me. <laughs> uh, get the violins out for me. And I rather suspect that Frida uh, lives a quite wonderful life. In fact, I can see a massive stash of toys behind her um my question my question for you kevin in follow-up is is she named after frida carlo i hope so so that's frida we have our mascots david has darwin i've got carter we predicted Djokovic this week carter so we're on a roll mm. uh and matt has uh the dearly departed gerald the cat uh, Billie Jean has Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. And Matt, we have shout outs. Yes, for Ruth Summerfield in London. Oh, really? Hello, Ruth Summerfield. Lovely name. Good, good name to have at this time of year. My childhood best friend was called Ruth. 
And Albion used to have a, a striker called Kevin Summerfield. He wasn't very good. But I think Ruth's great. Thank you, Ruth, for your support. We have Claire Gitcham in Australia. Oh, hello, Claire. Hi, Claire. I wonder what Australia's like at this time of year. Is it cold? Well, I think it depends where you are in Australia. It's a big place, isn't it, David? Do we have any further details about Claire's location, Matt? No, just Australia, no. I'm afraid. Let us, let us know, Claire. Let us know, Claire. Thank you for your support and hello. Hope it's warm wherever you are. And finally, we have Kristen Brockmeyer from Alexandria in Virginia, USA. Oh, regular Virginia or West Virginia? Oh, she'd have said she'd have said West Virginia, regular Virginia. Um, Hello, Brockmeyer. That's that's this is these this is great, great names, great names, great locations. Sure are. Thanks ever so much. Anything further to add, David? Not really. Just sounds like a, a movie director name to me. That's all I would say. Oh, praise indeed from David Law. Uh, thank you all very much for your support. Um, look, we'll be back extremely soon for Friends of the Pod. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, our dailies start on Thursday from Roland Garros. David Law making his French Open debut. It's not to be missed, folks. We will speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.